This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. Um, what we're going to do over the next two weeks is uh, talk about the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Normally, when we talk about Jesus' earthly ministry's final week, we know a lot about the end of the final week. Thursday, Friday, Sunday, but we're going to start at Palm Sunday. What happened on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, as well as Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Sound good? All right, so this week and next week, just two sessions. All right, let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his entire ministry and how that culminated on that one week that changed the world. We thank you that it changed us. And we pray that as we walk in your word, you would guide us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So I got some handouts for you. Everybody likes a handout, right? So you can jot some notes down on here, whatever it is you want to do. Yep. So if we have questions along the way, you got to make sure you ask them, right? So we'll talk about some stuff that we already know about Jesus' final week. We'll talk about stuff that we didn't know. All right. Just um, by way of introduction, if we look at the Gospels, the Gospels record, and they do it in a different way. So um, if you looked at Matthew and, and Luke's Gospel, uh, they start kind of with the nativity, right? Uh, Mark starts his Gospel with the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. So the baptism of Jesus, he goes into the wilderness, and then he goes off into ministry. John starts where the book of Genesis starts, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called the synoptic gospels. So they move in a rather chronological way. John, a bit of a standalone, John is more of a doctrinal approach. Things won't necessarily or always be chronological. So we're we're gonna put it all together. Um, So if if you look at Matthew's Gospel, Palm Sunday is in chapter 21, and then we get the Easter account, and it ends in chapter 28. 29% of Matthew is the last week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Mark, from chapter 11 through chapter 16, 38%. Luke, chapter 19 to 24, is 25%. John, nearly 50% of John's writing is the last week of Jesus' ministry. So if we take all of that, that's 89 chapters, about 30 of them dealing uh, with the last week. So about a third of the Gospels cover Palm Sunday through Easter and then beyond because some of them talk about the post-resurrection of Jesus. So uh, that's, man, that's a lot, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. Um, It would be as if we had a a book on Abraham Lincoln's uh, presidency and and one-third of it dealt with the last week 
you know, from the surrender at Appomattox to his assassination. I don't know if we'd have enough material in that one week. What would we say? He had an egg in the morning, right? So there's just so much in, in the last third. And we're going to read through some stuff and you're going to say, well, I knew that was in the last week, the, you know, the Lord's Supper and Good Friday. But there might be some things you say didn't realize that. Didn't pick up on that, that that was in the last week. So any questions before we get hitching a ride here? We're going to do what's called harmonizing the Gospels. So we're going to lay Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John side by side. Some of them will cover the same thing. We might find just one gospel writer talks about something. Maybe it's two. So we're going to try to roll that together. All right? Sound good? Okay. Well, on your sheet here, it has a prelude. Um, I think it's important for us to start a little bit before the last week. John chapter 11 is the only recording of the raising of Lazarus. And it, the raising of Lazarus is rather important uh, part of, of this ministry thing because in the raising of Lazarus, there's going, to be, um, there's going to be a little angst among the church leaders because Jesus is, man, Jesus has demonstrated a lot of things, hasn't he? I mean, he does a lot of miracles. So changing water into wine, we started with that one. But man, now we're, we're bringing people back from the dead. So in John chapter 11, right, they came to Jesus and they were saying to him, you know, this one that you so appreciate and, and are friends with, um, his sisters have called. Sisters were whom? Mary and Martha. We're real familiar with this family, aren't we? Sounds like a family Jesus was pretty close to. They called and said, hey, our brother, your friend Lazarus is sick. We need you to come. And did Jesus come right away? He did some lollygagging. I have no idea what lollygagging is. Um, <clears throat> but Grandma always told me not to lollygag. He just hung out. He, he just kind of moved around. And, and the disciples were kind of surprised by this, were they not? Why were they surprised? Because of this friendship. You know, we know you to be real close to this guy, Jesus, and we don't understand why you're not hightailing it there. Great question. Did he wait? This is like waiting for the crescendo, right? I think his deal is, I have to wait for Lazarus to die. I could heal him, but I'm going to raise him. And it's going to be very noticeable what happens. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then I, I like this idea that um, he has this dialogue when we get to verses 25, 26, and 27, right? And Jesus says to the sister, you know, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And, and we miss this. This is the very next line, right? Do you believe this? And her answer is, anybody have it? Yes, Lord, I believe. 
So the great thing is, in this one, Jesus has set the stage before he has the, resurrect, or the, the raising of Lazarus, he has a discussion on the resurrection. So Lazarus wasn't resurrected, he was raised. How's that? Okay. Lazarus had to do something after he was raised from the dead. He had to die again. Resurrected people don't die again. So he was raised. Um, in Asia Minor, there's a, there's a, a grave and, and inscribed on it is Lazarus, twice dead. <laughs> so, I, so Jesus here wants to help identify that he, he's not only going to raise someone from the dead, more important, it's going to be the resurrection. And he uses the sister to help or to, to help proclaim this. Yes, Lord, I know he will raise, uh, uh, be resurrected on the last day. So she's already proclaiming the last day. Jesus says, okay, now that we got that done, just to show you that I'm the guy who can bring people back from the dead, come on, show me where you laid him. And they take to the tomb. And, and he says, let's roll the stone away. Oh, wait a minute, he's already been in the tomb how long? Four days. The belief was this, if you've been in the tomb for three days, you're dead. This guy's been in the tomb four days. Dead is dead. So there's no chance that this guy was just laying around there for four days, taking a nap. Um, and they bring him forth and, and he comes to life. So if, if you take a look at um, John chapter 11, you'll find that the, the reaction of the people was kind of cool, right? They said, oh, man, what is this? This is kind of neat that this guy's come back from the dead. This Jesus is, like, amazing. And when we get, to, um, when, when we get down to the end of the chapter, what, what ends up happening? When you get to verses 47 and 48. So let's go back to 45, actually. Uh, after this resurrection or this raising, many of the Jews, therefore, who came with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, in verse 47, John chapter 11, gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. And if we let him go on like this, everyone's going to believe in him. Wasn't that the goal? But what's, what's the problem for the Pharisee? The Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Do you not understand that it is expedient, necessary, for you that one man die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish? And he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for the nations, and not, only, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So Caiaphas, in his mind, is saying, we got to get this guy out of here, or else the Romans are going to come and take our place away. you got to kind of jump backwards in time, about 30 years King Herod, when Jesus was born, wanted to do away with Jesus. 
right? It was about the year 4-ish BC. So Jesus, you know, here you go. Jesus wasn't born on like zero. There were some people who were working on a calendar. He was probably, they figure he was born about 5 BC. So um, Herod dies not too long after Jesus is born, about a year. Some say maybe nine months. So if you remember, Mary and Joseph are going to come back from Egypt. And, and the comment was from the angel, it looked like they were on their way back to Bethlehem. And he said, nah, you better go to Nazareth because the one who succeeded Herod is like nuttier than he is. There was, there was an uprising after Herod died. And about 2,000 people um, were executed by the Romans. So this is still on their mind. This is only like 30 years earlier. Can you imagine the, the people who are running the temple and are saying, if we get another uprising, they're going to wipe us out. So as a matter of fact, they do get wiped out in the year 70 AD. Temple's destroyed. So this is the backdrop. Backdrop is this. Jesus is pretty powerful. He's pretty popular. And he's probably going to head down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And all these Jews are going to be there. And, and if he just carries on like this, what is Pilate going to do? Rome might remove us. So by the time we get to Friday, you're going to see that the church leaders and Pontius Pilate have something in common. If there is a riot, they're both gone. Which is why the church leaders on Good Friday are going to buddy-buddy up with Pilate, who's going to buddy-buddy up with Herod. So the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. All right, any questions on that? That's kind of deep to get started, isn't it? So that's a little bit of our background. Jesus has um, brought our friend Lazarus back, and, and we've got some challenges because of that. So Jesus decides heading, heading to Jerusalem. Disciples weren't all that excited about it. But on Sunday, uh, we find him in, uh, in Bethany, and then in... in how, here you go, on your, on your notes, right? I have Bethany slash... Okay, so when you and I were in Sunday school, one Sunday school teacher would say Beth Page, and another one would say, well, it's a PH. Beth Page. It's actually Beth Page. A Page is an unripened fig. Beth is house. It's the house of the unripened figs. Bethlehem would be the house of bread, right? All right. So this is recorded in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, this, this first Sunday. Some will take a portion, some will, others will take another portion. So John is the one who says, uh, The next day a great crowd who had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branch uh, from the trees and went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel. So that's the way John introduces this particular portion of Jesus' ministry. Palm branches are somewhat important. They were a symbol uh, for the Jewish people of victory. 
not I'm not sure that the Romans understood that. There was a lot of symbolism that went on that the Romans probably didn't pick up on. So Jesus was in, in Bethany, and now in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they both, all three talk about this. And when they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, so uh, anybody been to Israel? You've been to Israel? So you, you were on the Mount of Olives, and there's that Kidron Valley, and then, oh, we can see the temple. So he's coming toward the Mount of Olives. Did, did you go to where, they, where Jesus supposedly got on the donkey? And they had that mounting stone? This is like the best thing in the world. In, in, uh, during the Crusades, 1100s, 1200s, 13, the, the, the Christians came into Jerusalem and they set up like holy sites. And they had, in, in the Middle Ages, they had mounting stones because they had these big steeds. So you got on the mounting stone and then you got on. So they had this stone. This is the very stone that Jesus used to mount the donkey. If you use the mounting stone to get on a donkey, you, you go completely over. You really don't need, especially a colt, the foal of a donkey. The mounting stone would probably be bigger than the animal. So, um, so there they are. They're on the Mount of Olives, which is a pretty important place for Jesus. Is it not? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play in through the whole week. And he sent two disciples ahead of him, go in the village. And then immediately you're going to find a, a donkey tied with, with the colt. Now, Matthew and Luke say, on which no one has ever sat, which would make it religiously pure. So that... And, and, and um, I'm sorry, I said Matthew, it's Mark and Luke. It's, these are the only ones who said it. So bring it here. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke both say, if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, well, the master needs it. Because, you know, um, horse thieves as well as mule and donkey thieves are probably not appreciated even in the first century. But it's a simple statement. The master needs it. Don't you wonder if the guy who owned the animal was thinking, what master? But nonetheless, he said, hey, no problem. Go ahead. You can borrow it. So um, Matthew says, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Two things. Number one, Jesus fulfills yet another prophecy. The second is, it's a modest entry. It shows humility. So as Jesus comes in and everybody's cheering, he's also going to portray to them, but I'm not coming as one of the Romans. I'm coming in... in a deeper way. I'm coming in a humble way. I'm coming not to slaughter, but to be slaughtered. I'm not coming to make a sacrifice of all the Romans. I'm coming to be a sacrifice for them and everyone else. So it's a, it's a symbol of, of humility. So we've got two symbols going on. 
we got the symbol of humility and palm branches, the symbol of victory. So we're gonna tie these together. The humble Jesus is also the victorious Jesus. Now, I can only imagine Roman soldiers as Jesus comes in and everyone's waving palm branches and here's the king of the Jews and they've gotta be snickering. It's like, seriously, and he's on like a donkey? Really? Yeah, where's your steed, you know? This would be like, uh, this would be like um, General MacArthur making his return in a kayak. Just isn't gonna look impressive, is it? We need a landing craft for this. So they went away, they found the colt tied at the door out in the open street and they untied it. And, and the ones who stood there said, what are you doing? And they said, what Jesus told them, the, the Lord has need of it, and they let, him, they let them go. So they were questioned, and they let him go. The Lord needs it. We heed the word of the Lord. So they brought the cult to Jesus, and if you're trying to follow me, I'm jumping from gospel to gospel, so my apologies. Uh, they brought the cult to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Luke adds, for it is written, which is Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand this at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that this had been written of him and had been done to him. What do you think is going through the disciples' minds as Jesus is getting ready to go into Jerusalem and they see all these crowds lined up on the road? This is it, man. We've been waiting for the kingdom to come. Romans out, Jesus in, and guess what? We're in the cabinet. We've got seats. And then, you know, because remember Jimmy and Johnny? Can we be on your right and your left? Yes. Uh, so, so they, don't, they don't have this fuller understanding. They're going to catch it later when, when Jesus is crucified and risen. Um, so yeah, Matthew goes on to say, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road. There's always a couple people who don't want to get their coat dirty. Then others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is the red carpet treatment. right? So putting your coat on the ground... Chivalry is dead, right? Remember those old pictures of the guy who would take his coat off and put it on the puddle so the girl could walk across? Who ever did that? <laughs> Nobody ever did that. Nobody. Nobody. Sir Walter Raleigh did it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. And that's a guy who had like way too many coats. But this is a sign of really humility as well. This is a sign of I'm, I'm bowing down to you, Jesus. I'm recognizing you as my master as my Lord. So they, they, they put these on the road, and it says here uh, in John, John's the only one to say this, and he's the only one who covered the um, Lazarus story. John adds this, the crowd that had been with Jesus when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and was raised from the dead bore witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. 
So he's attracting even more people. So we're going to back up again. Jesus is doing his ministry up in Galilee. It was important for Passover for Jews to go to Jerusalem. So they're all going, imagine as Jesus is going down, imagine the crowd as it gets bigger and bigger because, you know, he's preaching and teaching and raising people from the dead. And imagine this crowd that's gathered, this huge crowd. He's gathered even more because of the Lazarus resurrection and, and Bethany isn't far from Jerusalem. So by the time Jesus gets to Jerusalem, man, he's got a crowd. It's the snowball effect, if you will. He's gathering more and more people. You're a Pharisee. What are you thinking? <laughs> I knew it. I told you. Caiaphas got to be saying, I told you. I told you the whole world was going to go after this guy. If you're a Roman soldier, what are you thinking? Uh, another yeah, what a, this one's a joke, though. He doesn't even have an army. He's got fishermen. What are they going to do, put a net over us? Right? If you're a disciple, you're thinking, this is it. This is it. We've been finally waiting for this. Jesus is going to go in and he's going to boot everybody out. Do you see the mixed emotions that are happening? Yeah. And, and the only one who really gets it is Jesus. He's the only one who gets what's happening and what's going to happen. So it, it says, um, Matthew and Mark, the crowds that went before him and that followed him. So he's surrounded by people. Hosanna to the son of David, they cry. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save or save us now, Hebrew. Mark adds that they were crying, blessed be the kingdom of our father David that is coming. They were right and they were wrong. They were right that the kingdom is coming, but not necessarily in the way they anticipated. Why do they use, you know, the Jewish people always thought, hey, we're gonna get another Moses to lead us, but now they're comparing him to King David. Why? Because David was what? He was a warrior. This is what we need. We need a warrior. So um, Luke says this. He says, Now as he was drawing near at the descent of the Mount of Olives, so he's coming down, then they're going to go back up to the temple, the whole multitude of the disciples, meaning all those who were following Jesus, began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. So they're talking. Oh, he raised Lazarus. Well, I saw him change water into wine. I was at the wedding. Well, yeah, well, I saw this, I saw that. And they're all talking and they're putting it all together. This is the guy. We're finally going to be released from these goofy Romans. Some of the Pharisees in the multitude said to, to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to stop. And they have two reasons. One, they don't like the popularity of Jesus. Two, they're, they're fearful that a riot might break out. They should have just put a fence around the temple. Oh, I won't go there. 
So he, he answered, here's what Jesus said in, in Luke's gospel. Um, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And it could be a testimony that what Jesus is saying is even creation testifies to who I am. Even creation knows that I am the Lord God. In other words, he's also saying to the Pharisees, you're dumber than rocks. If you don't get this, you're dumber than rocks. So John adds this, the Pharisees then said to one another, you see that you can't do anything. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Enough is enough. So Luke tells us this, when he drew near and saw the city, remember what he did? He cried. He wept over the city saying, would that even today you knew the things that make for peace. Wow. He wept over it. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. And he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Lazarus is physically dead. Jerusalem is spiritually dead. Right? He's come to raise Lazarus from the dead. He comes to raise sinful humanity from spiritual death. And he's going to do that by giving up his life. But the deal is, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this is where Jesus weeps. Everything was laid out. I mean, if anybody on the face of the earth should have known that Jesus was the Messiah, it should have been the people in Jerusalem, right? They know the scriptures. Here's the deal. Here's the prophecy. Here's what Jesus has done. When you put them together, what do you have? A Messiah. But they had put themselves in their popularity way above of Jesus' ministry. He, Jesus goes on. But now they are hid from your eyes. For the day shall come upon you when your enemies will cast up a bank about you and surround you. They'll hem you in on every side and they'll dash you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Remember when Jesus and the disciples went in, into Jerusalem and the disciples were gazing at the temple buildings, right? Like a tourist in New York City, right? You ever, anybody ever been a tourist and you just found yourself doing this? Isn't it? You go downtown New York, it's like, oh, that's pretty good. The, the taxi guy goes, oh, I can take this one for a ride. Yeah. Remember the disciples did that, how impressive, and Jesus said, yeah, you know, there's going to be a day that one stone's not going to be left on another. And that would come in the year 70 A.D. But we wouldn't need a temple anymore. Right? The temple was the presence of God among his people. We have Jesus. He is, he is the presence. So Jesus gives a prophecy again here. So when they entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? 
Do you remember how the city was stern when the, when the, the wise men came to Jerusalem? Who is this they're talking about, this king of the Jews? Notice this. Jesus stirs up trouble when he's born because it is claimed that he is a king. Well, Herod doesn't like that. We want him out. Jesus, in his death, has, has the reason for his execution nailed above his head, which is he's the king of the Jews. They wanted to kill him when he came into the world because he's a king. They are killing him as he leaves the world because he is a king. The whole ministry of Jesus is about his kingship in our life. It's about us giving up the throne. And he, he sits on the throne that we like to take. So the whole city is stirred. <clears throat> Matthew says, And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And, and they recognize who he is. They know exactly who he is. Interesting because we don't have a lot of video or pictures or paintings. So these people wouldn't have said, Oh yeah, I saw him on Fox the other day. Uh, they wouldn't say, oh yeah, he was on CNN. I said, oh, I saw his picture in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. No, the, the, we don't have this. But man, he is the most popular person. This is Jesus of Nazareth from Galilee. And he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, it was already late. So he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, man, that's, that's Sunday. He went into the temple, his reason for going, going to the temple, it's coming to be Passover, gets there a few days before Passover, and he walks into the temple, and that's where it's left for right now. And he left and he went to Bethany. <clears throat> Notice this, when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, so Jerusalem is a city with, with a wall around it, right? Cities always had walls. Jesus goes in. It was already late, so I can't do what I, what I need to do, which would be what? Cleansing the temple. It's already late. He left and went back to where? He left. Why didn't, why didn't he stay, you know, at the Ramada Jerusalem downtown? He left so that he would not be under the, under the thumb of the ruling people. He always stayed outside the city. Notice when we get to Thursday and we arrest Jesus, then they bring him into the city. When is his trial? It's at night. City gates closed. You ain't coming in. You ain't going out. His followers couldn't come back in with him. So we'll, we'll talk about why, why did the cheering crowd on Sunday become the jeering crowd on Friday. So th this will be tied into it a little. So Jesus, he, he walks in, notices that it's late. He goes back to Bethany with the 12. All of his disciples go with him. We're all going to be outside. Here's how it works. The people who lived in Jerusalem stayed in Jerusalem. 
They might have had some family and friends that were pilgrims and came. The people who came to visit Jerusalem, we did not have a lot of holiday inns. They did not have hotels, motels. You stayed outside the city gates and many of them camped at Jellystone Park on the Mount of Olives. Or if you had friends in the area. Jesus had friends in the area. He stayed probably with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Okay, good. Questions on Sunday? Palm Sunday. Any questions? No. All right, so we've got a Jesus who's popular. We've got a ruling class of Jews who's not, they're not excited. We've got a group of Romans who are probably chuckling at all of this as it's playing out. And we've got uh, followers who think this is it, man. Disciples, this, we're finally going to get our place. They're probably going to go into Jerusalem to a tailor's and get nice clothes because they're going to have their picture in the paper. They're all excited about this. And then Jesus says, come on, let's go to Bethany, which would not be unusual. So they don't see anything unusual about leaving the city and hanging out in Bethany. Yes? Maybe this has no significance at all, but it doesn't seem like, um, you know, now when a celebrity comes in the area, you know, it's all about the celebrity shaking hands, yeah, connecting yeah. with the people getting into the crowd. But these accounts of Holy Week, it just seems like Jesus, he didn't, he didn't do that. The crowd came yeah. to him and he... Crowd came to him. Exactly. I, I mean, are there accounts of him where he went around shaking hands, I'm here for you, or something? Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting? It's not so much that Jesus sticks his hand out. Everyone else is sticking theirs out to touch him, right? So we had that lady who had the bleeding disorder, and she, she was healed just by touching the hem. So it's that the people are, are just reaching out to him. And we don't have any what, in what they call rope lines. Um, everybody's around him. I, I remember my Sunday school um, books and, and Palm Sunday was like everybody on the side of the road, just like Cedarburg on the 4th of July. Every once in a while a kid went around to get a Tootsie Roll and come back in. But when you read it, the crowd that went before him and the crowd that followed him, it's like a moving, it's like a, a moving anthill. Is that more of a cultural thing? Or, I, yeah. Know, the king on the big, you know? Yeah. I, I actually, I think it's probably, I, I just really want to get close to this Jesus. How, sudden, how suddenly things can change. And it's this raising of Lazarus. There's always people around Jesus. If you read, there were times all he wanted to do was get away and the crowds followed him, right? He's in the house speaking. And, and it's so crowded they couldn't get a paralytic in to see him. They cut a hole in the roof and drop him down. So that we get this constant, this constant crush. I want you to think about that. Three years of day in, day out, being constantly crushed by people. There's no secret service. There's no White House where I can get away or a Camp David where I can relax. It's just, it is a constant rush and people constantly touching you. There's no social distancing at all. So it's a good question. Thanks. So Monday, Matthew 21, Mark 11, they both kind of start here. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree 
by the wayside, he went to it. So it was the drive-up window. It was like a McDonald's. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Jesus, was he not a morning person? Did he not have his coffee yet? I mean, is this the Jesus you know? Uh, water into wine, that's a pretty cool thing, isn't it? Providing a lot of fish in the net, that's a pretty cool thing. This is the only time Jesus uses his divine power to bring something to destruction. Later on, we're going to find out when they went past, it looked like someone had sprayed some Roundup on this thing. So I got to ask a couple questions. If it's not the season of figs, and Jesus looks for figs on a fig tree, what's getting this guy so wound up? Does it seem fair? I mean, is it, would, it, would it be fair for me to say to my, my granddaughter, you know what, I'm really sad, I'm really upset with you, I told you to carry my barbells up to the attic. And you would say, is it fair to ask a four-year-old to do that? That's impossible. How can you ask a fig tree to bear frig, figs? The thought probably is this, there were probably unripened figs at this time of the year, pagae. They were also edible. So Jesus is hungry, he wants to eat, there's a fig tree. How does a fig tree look? Looks pretty good. With a healthy looking fig tree, you gotta have some good looking figs. We get there, there's nothing, and what does Jesus say? Nobody's gonna eat fruit from you again. Later we'll find out that it withered. All right. I like the line, and the disciples heard it. I wonder if they were as shocked as we are at this one. So, in chapter Matthew 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19, they all are going to tell us about Jesus going into the temple. Remember, he left the temple the night before. I'm going to read a little bit here out of uh, Matthew. He's a little more complete. Matthew 21, 12. And Jesus entered the temple of God. Matthew's pretty specific. He's the one who says the temple of God. Well, Matthew, we know it's the temple of God. It's going to be pretty important, though, because Jesus is going to refer to it as his father's house. So, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Well, here's a guy who's making friends. Wow. Yeah, so what are the buyers and the sellers and the money changers? Well, let's start with the money changers. When you went to the temple, one of the reasons you went to the temple was to make a sacrifice. And the sacrifices depended on who you were in your socioeconomic world. If I'm a real poor person, I might get away with a pigeon. If I'm a very wealthy person, maybe a lamb or two. Now, if I'm coming from Nazareth in Galilee and I'm making a 70-mile trip down to Jerusalem, it's not going to take an hour on the expressway. It's going to take some time. 
I'm probably not going to carry my lamb with me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to buy one when I get down to Jerusalem. The people that sold them were the people who ran the temple. So you would go and say, hey, I need a sheep for my family to sacrifice. And they would say, okay, that's going to cost you whatever. And you hand them your money and they say, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. That's, that's Galilean money. You need temple currency. You need to go see the money changer. You need to see the guy with the exchange rate. The people who changed the money gave a very unfair exchange. They made a lot of money on, on cheating people. Um, when, we were in, when we were in Africa, uh, in Ghana, the only way you could change money was with $100 bills, brand new. Remember? Right? And if you had like a 20, your exchange rate was completely different. So we wanted to exchange money. Remember when we stopped the bus in that Muslim section? Oh, you were there the year before. And a guy got on the bus. He gave us the greatest exchange rate. And then when we left, I thought, I don't know if that was good or not. I wonder if there's a money laundering guy or whatever. But anyway, we got a good exchange rate. You get a nice stack. You get a really good stack of money. What, what was happening was these people were being cheated. They were coming to church to be cheated. It would be as if we would say, well, we're going to give you a tax. And, and you, to go to church, you have to pay X amount of dollars, and it's going to be based on your income. And you would come and say, okay, I'm supposed to give uh, $50 a week. Here's my $50 bill. Here's general grant. Oh, but you have to have first manual money. So actually, I'm going to need $100 from you to get $50 worth of FIL bucks. Not nice. Then I would go over to buy my sheep. Now I got my money. And, and you say, okay, I've got some temple dollars. And um, so like a sheep must be like 20 bucks. Well, not here. Here it's $100. So now you're getting cheated twice. A lot of money being made. How does Jesus feel about this? <laughs> Jesus is not happy. He doesn't even sit down to reason with them. He doesn't say, okay, let's talk about exchange rates and prices for pigeons. What he says is, this isn't about prices, this is about your heart. This is about what you are doing with God's facility. You've turned my father's house into a den of thieves. Clay, go ahead. <clears throat> Yeah, you know, it's interesting because you, can, you get a lot of speculation. You know, I'll read an article that they were raised right around where Jesus was brought up. And then there's another one that says they were, they were all raised in Bethlehem where he was born. So we don't have it scripturally, but there's a lot of conjecture about what goes on out there. So here we've got, here we've got all these people who are pouring in. You're coming, you don't have a choice in the temple. You either do this or you don't fulfill what the temple requirements are. Steve. Well, that was a man that they were selling stuff that they nope. were being cheated. Yep. So when people used to get mad that they would sell gold, store sell cookies or the youth would do something on the narthic, yeah. people would throw their hands up and say, hey. Yeah, yeah. You know, ladies' aid bake sale, men's club selling tickets for the beef dinner, right? Youth raising some money so they can go to the national youth gathering. It's not bad. 
you know. But when those youths start selling those candy bars for $900, I got a problem, right? Yeah, so, so our bake sales and whatever, that money is targeted for something, right? This money was targeted for someone. Going to grease our pockets with this. Yeah, so if they would have come in and said, um, you know, we have temple currency and they gave a decent exchange rate and they sold a, a, a lamb for a, a decent price, I, I don't, that wouldn't have been a problem. This was a problem. Yeah. So rather than being a service to the people, the people became a service to the, to the Pharisees and Sadducees and yeah. So you can see Jesus is a little annoyed. And then if, you, if, if you're looking at Mark 11, he adds this, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Can you see these guys trying to pick up pigeons, gather money and run out? And Jesus goes, oh, no, that's not going to happen. It's done. It's done completely. Um, well, well, we'll hang out in, in, in Mark 11, 17. And he taught them. So this whole turning over tables is a teaching moment. He taught them and said to them, this is, this is wonderful rabbi. Ask a question. Rabbis teach by asking questions. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? If you want to know, that's Isaiah 56, verse 7. But you have made it a den of robbers. And then Mark goes on and says, and the chief priests and scribes heard it. They're not really happy. Any questions on the cleansing of the temple? If you look at John, John has this at the beginning of the ministry. Again, John is not a chronological guy. He's a doctrinal guy. He's doing everything by doctrine. Okay, let's go back to the withered fig tree, shall we? The fig tree looked good. It was barren. When Jesus or you or I would have walked into that temple, it would have looked good and busy. But it was barren spiritually. This is what Jesus is conveying. In, in the fig tree. Just as the fig tree looked good and healthy and strong but had absolutely nothing to offer, that was the temple. It was busy, but nothing was going on. That's my line when I ask someone to say, how you doing today? Oh, I'm busy. Don't tell me you're busy. Tell me what you're getting done. Everybody can be busy. Some people are busy at being lazy. Busy. Temple. Yes, it does. The temple was busy. Nothing was getting done. Any questions? Oh, we got some time. Let's keep clicking, huh? So back over to Matthew chapter 21. We're still Monday, right? This has got to really rub the teachers and the, the scribes Pretty rough. And the blind and the lame came to him where? In the temple, and he healed them. He got rid of the garbage, and he started to do the work of the Father. 
He's now in the temple, and they're bringing people to him, and he's healing them. Man, we got Matthew 21, verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They were upset. They were angry. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yup, yes I do. Have you never read, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast brought perfect praise? That's Psalm 8 too. It's not that these are just kids that are praising Jesus. They are, they are seen by the Pharisees and the scribes as spiritual infants. You know, less than us. And Jesus is saying, yeah, I get it. They're in your eyes, spiritual infants, but they're spiritual giants because they recognize who I am. So um, the chief priests and scribes, the principal men of the people sought to destroy him because they feared him. And Luke goes on and says, yeah, but they couldn't find anything they could do. All right, let's execute him. Okay, let's come up with a reason, okay? Um, he heals a lot of people. Nah, that's not a good one. Um, oh, how about this one? He threw the tables of the money changers. Yeah, but wait a minute, the people really liked that one. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. We don't have anything for which we can kill him, but we still fear him because he's going to take our place or cause such a ruckus, the Romans are going to step in. Um, Matthew and, and Mark says, when evening came, they went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. But on their way, as they leave, they saw the fig tree. And their question is this, how did that fig tree wither so fast? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and never doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Wow. So they're, they're shocked that the fig tree dies so fast and, and Jesus then tells them, yeah, yeah, that's not all that great. You, you, and even earlier in his ministry, you, you'll do greater things than I've done. Seriously? How many of you here have ever cured anyone of an illness? Anybody? Anyone raise anyone from the dead? Anybody, anybody die and come back to life here in this crowd? No, I haven't. But Jesus talks about you'll be able to do these things if you have a faith that's great enough. If you have a faith. Does that mean that you and I have a weak faith? Does that, let me ask you this. If you're sick or you lost a job 
or your, your family's having problems, does that mean your faith isn't strong enough? If your faith was strong enough, you'd never get sick, never have financial problems, never have a problem with the boss at work. Your kids would always get along. Your grandchildren will always be honor students and would be the star of the football team. Is this what Jesus is conveying? Not at all. No. You do. So the deal is, as we live in faith, as we put our trust in Jesus, we get, we go to heaven. We get connected to his miracles. It's not necessary that we're going to do these things. We're connected to these things. You know, it's interesting, uh, in his ministry, Jesus at one point said, you know, if you had enough faith, you could say to the mountain, move over there. Remember that? Do you know why he said that? Herod had a, a lot of different, like, fortresses, little places he'd live. And there, <laughs> there's a place in the, in the Holy Land where there's two uh, mountains. And you can go up and see the remains of Herod's little eagle's nest. But the deal is he, he wanted it on this mountain, but that mountain was taller than that mountain, so they had, he had them move the top of this mountain to that mountain and build his home on top of it. And the people were just amazed at the engineering. He moves mountains. And Jesus says, oh, man, yeah, sure. Oh, that's great. He got a bunch of shovels and moved them. But boy, the mountains of sin that you get to move with the gift of forgiveness, right? Or the mountains of fear you get to move with the shovel of love? Amazing. So this is Monday for Jesus. Sunday, coming into Jerusalem. Monday, cleaning up the temple. Can you give me five minutes to introduce Tuesday? Tuesday's a huge day. You didn't realize this. Tuesday, it's Teaching Tuesday. We are going to find um, a whole lot of parables of Jesus. He most likely, um, Jesus most likely did this teaching on, on the temple steps. It was called the rabbinical steps. They're still there. And when you go to, when you go to Jerusalem, the, most everybody gets on the steps and they have their picture taken on the steps. You get your picture taken on the steps, the rabbinical steps over there? Probably. Rabbis would gather there and with their disciples and crowds would come along and they would discuss theology. Jesus teaches a lot of parables. A lot of the parables that you know and love uh, come on this day. The very last parable that Jesus is going to speak is in uh, Matthew 25. There's some people that say, well, it's not really a parable, but I don't know. He talks about sheep and goats. On the last day when the king comes, sheep on the right, goats on the left. And Jesus is going to say, you know, whatever you've done to the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. It sounds like you've got to work your way to heaven. But we're going to talk about the progression of parables. So if you want, start reading. And uh, if you want to do that in Matthew, I would suggest Matthew on this one. Start at, at chapter 21. And um, man, he just, he just keeps a preaching. Um, he just, when he preaches, he goes. He doesn't even stop. So. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. 
Have a good day and God bless.